0: What's up, everyone? This is Cortland from IndyHackers.com, and you're listening to the Hackers podcast. On this show, I talk to the founders of profitable internet businesses, and I try to get a sense of what it's like to be in their shoes. How do they get to where they are today? How do they make decisions both at their companies and in their personal lives? And what makes their businesses tick? Today, I'm talking to Nat Eliason, the founder of Growth Machine. Nat, what's up, man?
1: Uh, Not too much. I'm having a wonderful Monday over here and
0: excited to chat with you. Excited to chat with you as well. Do you know that you are only the second person I've had on the podcast who not only runs an agency, but runs an agency that helps other businesses grow? The first being uh, our mutual friend, Julian, over at Curve.
1: Oh, nice. That's right. I-, I saw you interviewed him. Julian's a, a good friend. We worked together on a couple of projects now.
0: Yeah, he's a good guy. I talked to him back in, I think, episode 17 or 18. But let's talk about you. You run a company called Growth Machine, which is an agency where you help companies get more traffic... And more customers. More specifically, the way you do it is by helping them with something called content marketing, where you're literally writing articles and blog posts for your clients. And then you get these articles to rank at the top of Google. The end result is that your clients end up getting a ton of traffic from all of these people who are searching Google and landing on the articles that you wrote. Is that a good description of what you guys are doing? What am I leaving out?
1: No, that that's basically what we do. I mean, we take over a lot of the content production or refurbishing of existing stuff and get it in those top few spots on Google and then kind of help them optimize the conversion metrics around that new traffic they're getting.
0: And who exactly is Growth Machine? Is it just you by yourself or do you have a team working with you? It started as just me uh, back
1: in September 2017 when I decided to kind of go the agency route with it. I've been doing some consulting before. Uh, The consulting, honestly, was more of a pain than it was worth. And nobody was ever able to implement the advice that well. So I kind of switched to the agency model where we could do everything for them. And started that in September. It was just me for the first four months. And then around January, we hired our first full-time employee, uh, Nora, who's amazing. And then we brought on two more full-time people soon after that. So there's three of us or there's three people full-time with me now. Uh, we're hiring another person. And we've probably got 40 or 50 contractors who work with us as well between... Oh, wow. Article... Yeah, it's it's actually kind of a crazy hub and spokey model within the company where we just have a few core full-time people. And then we've got tons of contractors for uh, mostly article creation. That's the main one. Uh, because we have to hi- we have to find somebody or two or three people who are experts in the niche of every client we work with. So we can't just have one writer do all of the articles, right? Right. Because we work with people doing, you know, ketogenic diets and uh, team productivity management and meditation. It's just like very different areas. And our strategies work pretty much across all of them, but we have to get new writers. So we have a huge team of writers. Then we've got uh, promoters and people who help with editing and image creation and all of that. So it's very like siloed out at the uh, sort of like the first steps in most of the processes.
0: How much revenue are you guys generating nowadays and how many customers do you have? Because 50 contractors on top of your full-time staff, on top of yourself, is a lot of people to support. And I know you guys are entirely self-funded.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, that was the scary thing with bringing somebody on full-time at the beginning because I never really worked on something with multiple people uh, or where I had to... Kind of pay salaries quite like this, and then you know it's it started with literally just me transferring five grand from my personal account to the business account uh, to pay freelancers with, uh, and you know I learned really quickly that cash flow in a business like this is tricky because most of your clients will not pay you on time; it'll take like forty-five days to pay you. Uh, so even if you build at the beginning of work, you have to do two or three payroll cycles before you get the money from the clients that you're you know, going to use to pay your employees. So it, it's tricky to like get it up and running in the beginning, uh, keeping it bootstrapped. But, uh, you know, we grew really quickly. And I mean, this month we're going to do about 85k in revenue just wow. nine months after we started.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I am in the wrong so, business.
1: <laughs> so it's been like, that's been super cool. And I mean, luckily we were, you know, we've always been profitable. So I was able to bank money in the beginning to start, bringing on other full-time people and make the the cash flow stuff work out for the tricky first few months of them being on the team but now i mean like i can't imagine doing it any other way it was so hard when it was just me trying to wear all the hats and everybody in you know everybody who's on the full-time team is like way better at the thing that they do than i am so it's just like much more efficient better process we all get to have fun together and yeah business is growing so it's uh it's been great
0: yeah that's there's a lot in there that I want to talk about. I want to talk about how you hired and structured your team. I want to talk about how you even started working on this idea in the first place. But first, I want to talk about growth. Obviously, you're an expert at growth, and it's hard to overstate how important the skill is because every business needs to grow. If you're not growing, then you're either stagnating or you're declining, and neither one of those are comfortable positions to be in as a founder. How did you build up your skill set and get to the point where you were confident enough to tell clients, hey, I can help you grow your business, I can get you to the top of Google?
1: Yeah, it was really just honestly it kind of started on accident. I started a blog in college because I got a philosophy degree which I knew wasn't going to, you know, land me any kind of useful interesting job, uh, but I was really interested in the entrepreneurship and marketing stuff. And so I I had done like a startup thing in college just to try to get into entrepreneurship. It, you know, basically failed wonderfully after a year. And I realized that part of the reason it was hard for that to succeed was that I didn't know anything about marketing. And being a you know college student with no you know not much cash flow, the easiest way to start learning marketing at the time seemed to get into content marketing. So I started just a blog under my own name, started writing kind of articles about random stuff, uh, and then that pretty quickly led to me doing an internship with Zapier. Uh, which is an amazing product and company for anyone who doesn't know about it. it kind of like lets you automate stuff between different tools. And they have a phenomenal content marketing team that was very focused on SEO. So I got to work with them during my senior spring in college and kind of learn a ton of their uh, SEO skill sets uh, and techniques and kind of like add it to my own uh, abilities. And then I got... Uh, as the Zapier internship was ending, I kind of got this opportunity to... Go work with Noah Kagan, the guy who started AppSumo and what was then called SumoMe, uh, in Austin, because SumoMe was starting to grow, and he wanted to hire kind of the first in-house marketer to work on the marketing for the product, so that he could focus on running the business. And content ended up being a huge part of the strategy there. So I had to learn a ton of content marketing. He, you know, he put me in touch with people like Brian Dean, who were, you know, just like the absolute experts in the field, so I could learn from them a bit. And I kind of got that sandbox to play with for nine months uh, with the Sumo blog, and ended up growing that one from about five thousand a month when I started to one hundred seventy thousand visitors a month by the time I left. And that was a mix of SEO and you know getting really good guests and growing the email list and kind of just the whole stack of content marketing. And at the same time, I was still working on that personal site that I started in college. And through applying some of my SEO stuff to that, it was getting about. Two hundred thousand visitors a month by that point, Uh, so that was growing a lot too. And it was like, okay, cool. This, you know, my just my personal site has actually grown or had actually grown at that point into being a business. And so, when um, my job at Sumo ended, I traveled for a year and a half, basically using my personal site as a lifestyle business and getting to kind of like go all around the world and just write articles and you know use that as. Uh, my like main business and income, and then eventually people saw what I was doing with my site. They had seen the stuff I had been doing at Suma before, and they started asking, you know, hey, uh, can you help us figure out the content marketing for our business? Uh, I mean, one notable one is that kind of while I was doing the Zapier internship, I was working with another guy, uh, Justin Myers. He's the co-author of Traction, and he he runs a business now called Kettle and Fire. And we had done a project together called Programming for Marketers, um, which was kind of like teaching marketers technical skills. And then as that project wound down, he was getting started with Kettle on Fire. And so he eventually reached out to me and said, like, hey, can you help us just like figure out our content marketing strategy for Kettle on Fire and then help us hire someone? So uh, we got to work together for a few months. That was super fun, got their kind of strategy rolling, and then they hired a really great content marketer and she took it from like 20,000 a month to 150,000 a month in visitors within like 8 or 9 months and getting a couple of those wins doing the consulting made me feel like okay well maybe i could actually just start a business to do this for companies because it worked out great with kettle and fire but uh the a couple of the other sites that i worked with uh, on a, as a consultant it just like didn't go anywhere they had a really hard time implementing it they kind of like took the advice and then didn't do anything with it. And that was super frustrating to me. So uh, I figured like, okay, well, let's just start a business, handling everything for them so that they don't need to hire in-house or try to figure it out uh, on their end. And that was kind of where Growth Machine came from.
0: So that was just a long-winded way of saying that if you really want to get good at growth, what you need more than anything is a philosophy degree. Yeah, exactly. <laughs>
1: get, get, a, get a philosophy degree and then kind of stumble onto to SEO. Uh, randomly, the the first time that an article of mine popped up on Google, I had no idea what SEO was. I wasn't really trying to do it. It was just like I woke up one day and suddenly my site had gone from you know ten visitors a day to two hundred, and you know that was just like crazy exciting at the time. So that kind of made me be like, okay, well you know how did this happen, and then obviously how can I like replicate it across other sites? But to be fair, I mean. I, I I love that you're saying that I'm amazing at growth and stuff, but I feel like I'm really just good at one very specific thing, which is, you know, growing sites through search-focused content, right? Because growth is such a huge umbrella, and I picked that one specific thing to get really good at and build some brand around, and that's worked out very well.
0: I want to dive into some of the details behind exactly how you got good at this one specific skill, yeah uh, and maybe some of the lessons and the skills that you picked up working at all these different jobs. what would you say was the most impactful role or phase of your career in terms of learning
1: uh, i mean the only the only really long job honestly was the sumo one uh, i i because I was there for eight or nine months, and then I've kind of been doing my own stuff ever since. I learned a ton with Zapier too. I mean they were amazing and they treated me super well and uh, Danny Shriver was the guy I was working with there, and he's just like awesome at all things. Uh, marketing him and Matt Gay, uh, and they like really took a lot of time to help me learn the content marketing SEO stuff. And then Noah at Sumo uh, invested a lot in like helping me just learn all of the content marketing, copywriting, email marketing. But I feel like I'm learning the most now, right? Doing this stuff where we're actually getting to work on ten or twelve sites at once because with zapier and with sumo you know it was just one site right and you only had kind of like one data point for if your hypotheses were good or bad now if we have an idea to test something we can do it on 10 sites at once most of which are getting like a few hundred thousand visitors a month so we get really good feedback on our experiments and that's made it really it's made it really easy to like quickly iterate on our assumptions and it's been really fun to see the strategies work across multiple sites and multiple niches so uh, i really feel like this has been the biggest learning experience of all
0: yeah it can be crazy effective when you're able to experiment so much and as somebody who runs just one single website i've got to say i'm a little bit envious of the position that you're in with growth machine
1: but at the same time you're getting to talk to all these people and read all these write-ups so you're you're getting a ton of good data from that too which is probably kind of cool
0: yeah, I'm definitely expecting some uh free SEO services after this interview, Nat. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So let's talk about your blog because it doesn't yeah. sound like you had any particularly strong direction for it other than I just want to start writing. How did you go from there and grow it into something huge?
1: Yeah. I mean, it was really just like, hey, I'm going to write about whatever stuff is kind of interesting to me. So I was reading a lot of books about, you know, like psychology and uh Like decision science type stuff uh, back when I started. it, And so I wrote about things related to that in the beginning. And then just as my interests have shifted and changed over time, the the stuff that I write about has shifted and changed too. So eventually, I started writing some of my marketing articles there. I started writing some travel stuff, some finance-related stuff when I was doing the digital nomad stuff. Uh, There's a whole section of the blog dedicated to sex stuff like it's really varied and very much just kind of whatever I felt like writing at the time I've tried to resist the urge to obsess over the SEO too much. Cause I find that at least for my personal site, if I just try to write stuff that could rank highly for a good keyword, it's never quite as good as the stuff that I'm just interested in. But what I will do is if there's something I'm interested in writing about uh, I'll write about it, and then I can go through afterwards and see if there's a good way to tweak it to fit a search term. And sometimes there is, sometimes there isn't. But the the articles that do, you know, have target keywords that they can get a lot of traffic for do really well, and they help prop up the ones that are more just, this is interesting to me, and I feel like writing about it.
0: A lot of people listening probably are scratching their heads because they have no idea what SEO is. <laughs> they don't know what keywords are. They don't know how any of this stuff works. Can you give us the high-level Nat Eliason overview of what SEO is and how you do a good job at it?
1: Yeah, I think that it's easy to overcomplicate it and to obsess over the tons of little variables you can tweak. I mean, the way that we usually think about it at Growth Machine is just sort of that you want to write the best or most useful article on a given topic on the web. And so there's really only a few parts to it then, which is finding out what people are searching for. And there's a lot of ways you can do keyword research. You can use expensive tools like Ahrefs. You can use free stuff like Keyword Planner. Uh, that you know, just some way to figure out are people looking for this? Yes, no. And then once you have topics that people are looking for, how do you create the best article on that topic? And that's honestly the hardest part of it, because most people are much worse at writing and explaining things than they think they are. And so you'll get this issue where like a director of marketing or you know, a solo founder will start to, you know, quote unquote, try to do content marketing, where they say, oh, I'm going to write a blog post a week. And then you know, hopefully that brings in traffic. And then strategy usually doesn't go that well. It requires a fair amount of time and energy and honestly, money to like, really do it well and make it work. And so I'm very much of the opinion where it's like you either go all the way with it and you've got somebody where it's basically their part time job, at least if not full time, uh, or you kind of like don't do it at all. Because the only way that you can consistently create the best articles on the internet about a subject within a given within like an umbrella of topics is if you've got someone dedicating a lot of time and energy to it. Uh, Because the third part of it is that you also have to promote it, right? You have to try to get some traffic to it. Uh, once it's ranking, you know that brings in a lot of traffic, but it's really hard to get something ranked if people aren't already reading it, which means you also need to be putting energy into social promotion or building an email list or uh, going on podcasts or whatever you can do to, to get people to go read your stuff so that it can start to rank. But hey, I mean, if you can find topics people are looking for, if you can write about them in extremely useful, authoritative ways, and then if you can get people to read your content and link to it, uh, you will probably do very, very well at SEO, assuming you're not in like a hyper-competitive field, which is which most people are not.
0: I think it's so easy for somebody listening to this to go out and want to start a blog and start doing some research about SEO, and then immediately get lost in the tens of thousands of articles that exist that have been written about how to get good at SEO and all the millions of little variables that you can tweak. How did you go about navigating this minefield and learn about SEO on your own and? How should other people go about learning if they want to get serious about this?
1: Yeah, I would say that, I mean, the first thing to watch out for is what you just alluded to, which is that there is an absurd amount of content out there on SEO, and 99.9% of the people writing about it don't really know what they're doing. Uh, And they're just, you know, churning out articles. And unfortunately just because something is the number one result for an SEO topic doesn't actually mean it's the best article because you know, Google isn't perfect, right? And so you still have to do some work to find good uh, articles and good writers on a subject and you know, try to make sure that you're not overly complicating the process. Uh, I would say you can probably... You know If you want to learn about SEO in general, I think you could basically just read Brian Dean's blog and watch his YouTube channel and you wouldn't really need to go anywhere else. Uh, if you are curious about it as it blends with content marketing, I I would very you know selfishly promote the Growth Machine blog because <laughs> uh, we we do write about it a lot and I, I talk about it a lot too. But I mean, honestly, like the, the way I learned was really the trial and error and reading a lot of stuff from primarily Brian Dean. You know, his stuff is really good and. Just being able to read his articles, try to apply it on my site or a a Sumo article, uh, and then see what happens. Like, after, you know, two years of playing around with it, that was enough to get really, really good. Where we can, you know, with Growth Machine, like, we can go into a site that's already getting a decent amount of search traffic and we can pretty reliably increase it by 50 to 200% within three months. It's just like, a lot of repetition and a lot of practice and a lot of experimenting with what actually moves the needle and what doesn't. I I would caution people with the whole like reading and researching phase because it's so easy to just waste tons of time doing it. Uh, If you can find like one good source and consume, you know, everything from that one source and then just go start experimenting, that's probably the best way to learn.
0: What was the first thing that you wrote on your personal blog that, sort of blew up and opened your eyes as to how much search engine optimization could really help grow your site.
1: Yeah, this was an article. So I started my blog in September 2014. And in February, I wrote an article on doing a five-day water fast. And I think to this day, if you Google five-day water fast, it's still number one or number two. Uh, looks like i'm number two right now it moves around a lot and that one you know it was really just like i had heard about water fasting as an interesting thing to try and i figured okay this would be a cool experiment to just like see if i can go five days without food and so i did it and i took pretty detailed notes as it was going and then i wrote up this article about it afterwards put it on my blog was not expecting it to you know do anything i literally knew nothing about seo right but then this was the one where a, a few months later, I woke up one day and suddenly there were 200 people a day reading it. And I was like, whoa, okay, what happened here? Right? like, this is weird. And then that made me way more interested in SEO as a, a channel to go after, right? Because the blog was getting more people per day than it would before when I published a new article and I was doing no extra work, right? So normally, you know, if you have a, if you have a non SEO blog, you have to work to get traffic to every article and every old article. But if you have an SEO focused blog, then the articles you get to rank just keep getting traffic basically forever until somebody makes a better one. So, I mean, that water fasting article alone gets about two thousand visitors a day to this day, like three years later, right? And if you think about what it costs to buy ads, right? If I was selling like a fasting product and I was buying ads on that keyword, I'd be paying probably at least two thousand dollars a day for that traffic. But I get it for free every day, right? And that was kind of a crazy realization that oh wow, if you can actually get good at this and do it for a large portfolio of topics, that can just drive an insane amount of value uh, for your business or your personal site or you know whatever else you're you're trying to sell. Uh, it's a pretty cool channel if you can crack it
0: was there a point where you looked at what was going on and you thought to yourself hey maybe i should make some money off of all this traffic that i'm driving to my website
1: oh yeah so this is um the fun part of my site which is i uh about i think like a year after i started it i was having a conversation with a friend about sex and he was talking about like trying to last longer in bed and it was something that I had done a bunch of research on previously and like still had some notes lying around in my Evernote and stuff. And so we we had talked about it. And then kind of at the end of that, he said like, oh, you should just write an article about this and put it on your site. And my first reaction right was like, oh, God, no, I'm not doing that. <laughs> uh, but then it kind of just like kept sitting around in my head for a while. And after a few weeks, I just like drank a bunch of wine one night and wrote the whole article in one go, published it before I could, you know, uh, sober up and change my mind. and. I mean, first, the article hit like the front page of Reddit. Uh, so I got something like 40,000 visitors in 24 hours, which was, you know, insane. It was like more traffic than the site had gotten in the past year, right? I got in 24 hours. And that was like, oh, okay, that's awesome. And then within a month, I was on the first page of Google for a last logger in bed. And so then that article was suddenly getting up to 1000 visitors a day. And now it gets like three to three and a half thousand a day. And it's done that pretty consistently for the last two years. And I was like, shit, this is a lot (laughs) of traffic. And it seems like a valuable topic. And what I noticed was that within the article, there was a recommendation for an app that was on the app store for helping women practice uh, Kegel exercises. And I noticed that there were about 200 clicks per day going to that app. And, you know, I kind of did some back of the napkin math and I said, okay, she's charging, I think she's charging $2 for her app. And I was like, if I'm sending 200 people a day to the app store, to her app, and if 20% of them end up buying it, right, that's going to be 40, so it's like $80 a day for her. And so I'm helping her make, uh, what is that? Like, $2,400 $2,400 a month. And I'm seeing none of that value. I'm getting like small affiliate commission from iTunes. And so then I said, okay, well, there's really no app in the app store for men for doing Kegel exercises. There are a bunch of them now, because uh, I think other people realize that this one was doing well. Um, but I just decided like, okay, I'm going to make an app for men for doing Kegels. And I'll you know feature it in... My article and some of the other articles that went up afterwards. And so I ended up uh, getting connected with a guy who was on my email list. I sent out an email saying like, Hey, I'm looking for someone to help me build an app. This guy had been reading my stuff for a while. And he knew how to get a good app built, but he didn't know how to do any marketing. And he really wanted to learn marketing. So he said, Hey, I will get the app designed and built for you at cost. If you will... Kind of like keep me in the loop with all the marketing stuff you're doing for it so I can see how you're growing it and if I can use you as a case study for my other clients. And I was like, awesome, that's a great deal. So we got it built for $4,100 total, which is really cheap in the app world. Uh, It's pretty hard to get a good app built for that much. But it was a fairly simple app. Uh, We got it done in about a month and a half, put it up um, on the app store, linked to it from my site. And we launched it about two years ago and it's consistently Made anywhere from four, like at the low end, probably three thousand, uh, to at the high end, seven, seven and a half thousand a month in revenue with basically no ongoing work, just from my blog driving traffic to it. So that that was just like an awesome, you know, bit of side passive income that was, you know, helped fund my life while I was traveling and everything. And the articles were bringing in that traffic and selling the app every day with zero really zero ongoing maintenance for me uh we've updated the app once since it launched and i've updated the articles a few times just as they lose rankings you got to like tweak them a little bit but aside from that that's just sort of like ran without me having to do much else and you know been a great source of extra income for me and cool validation for the site and a great story to tell clients about the value of seo so that was really when I started to make the connection that, okay, you can take this traffic and then you can actually sell products with it. And that's what we help a lot of our clients do now as well.
0: Yeah, that's, that's nuts. That's essentially real passive income. And it's pretty rare that I talk to anybody who finds that because most businesses have this engine that requires an operator to tend to it and keep it running. In your case, the engine was essentially Google. And so you could just sort of go travel the world and the traffic would keep coming in and you would keep generating revenue was this the only way that you made any money from your blog or did you ever find any other ways to start generating income as well? That
1: was the big one, or it has been the big one so far. I mean, I would, I would technically say that Growth Machine is the biggest one, right? Because we didn't grow to this level of revenue so quickly just on our own. I had three years of credibility built up from doing you know, my publishing and giving away marketing advice for free basically on the blog, right? So indirectly, that's been the biggest monetization of my site. But then there's obviously Stamina of the app. Uh, there's a good amount of just random affiliate stuff as it comes up. I don't like to promote stuff that I don't use, but I get a lot from Amazon in particular because I take notes on every book I read, and then I publish my notes on my site. So I've got a whole section of my site dedicated to book notes. Uh, if you're familiar with Derek Sivers, he does this too. He's I think he's got more than I do, but i'm I'm working on catching up to him. Uh, and if you google a lot of these book titles plus the word summary, uh, my site will be in the first few results. And so that actually brings in just like the that notes section of the site brings in about fifty thousand visitors a month and a number of them end up clicking through from the book notes to Amazon like buying the book or you know if you buy anything on Amazon after clicking through an affiliate link, you give, that site credit. So every now and then someone will buy like a $2,000 camera, right? And that's, you know, 150 bucks for me, right? Which is awesome. Um, And that was kind of like a cool way to monetize some of the stuff on the site. And then the other thing I do now is because those book notes got so popular, I have a product that I call the brain, which is like the highly formatted annotated version of all the book notes that people can buy into. And then they basically, they just get read only access to an Evernote folder with like I think I've got something like two hundred and twenty books in there now, uh, with my like detailed bolding highlighting personal annotations and stuff, and people seem to like that, I think, to either refresh books they've already read or to find new ones. and so that'll sell like a couple hundred a week maybe um just from my newsletter. So there's like a lot of little things on there uh, that are either affiliate deals or small products, things like that. There's always kind of like little ways you can monetize traffic once you're getting it. It's just sort of an interesting question of, okay, if people are reading this, what would be the best product for them to buy? Uh, And if you can ask yourself that question, once you're getting the traffic, I don't think it's very hard to come up with product ideas for the visitors that you're getting.
0: You know, I don't talk to very many people who have this marketing first approach, where the first consideration is to make sure that whatever it is that you create, you can get it in front of as many people as possible, as consistently as possible. But I think it's really smart because A failure to do that is what kills the majority of startups. It's really hard to get people on the internet to care about what you've built. And so if you put it off, if that's not the first thing that you consider, then you're really just procrastinating and avoiding solving the number one challenge that stands in the way of you and your business's success. But on the flip side, if you spend too much time thinking about these numbers and not enough time thinking about what it is that you're actually building or creating or writing, then it's easy to create something that's horrible. And so the prototypical examples here might be a super addictive game or a social network or even a blog or a publication that's super clickbaity where your traffic numbers might be massive, but you're not really doing something that you can be proud of. And I have to think about this a lot with indie hackers because we publish a lot of content as well. How do you strike the right balance between reaching as many people as you can and also making sure that you care about what you're putting out?
1: (laughs) Yeah, I, I mean, unfortunately, the answer is writing extremely In-depth, actionable, useful guides and writing good SEO content usually don't go that hand in hand, unfortunately. Um, So that's part of why I don't try to over SEO my personal blog because I know it will necessarily lead to a a decrease in value, right? Because I mean, just to give you one example, right, something that Google seems to reward is people staying on your site. Uh, once they come in and they read an article. And they seem to penalize people who open up your article and then go back to Google and look for something else. So I've got a friend, uh, Connor, who runs a company called Baselang, where they te- they set you up with native speakers in South America to practice Spanish with, and you get unlimited Spanish tutoring for 150 a month. It's a great model for people who are trying to learn Spanish. And he wrote this like massive super useful 20,000 word guide to learning spanish put it up on the site and you know it, it wasn't ranking on the first page for how to learn spanish and so he said like okay well you know i wrote this you know objectively really good guide and it is a really good guide he's like why isn't it ranking and i kind of had to say or you know i kind of guessed like it's probably that it is too in depth right it is almost too useful that people pop they pop the page open and they see this 20,000 word behemoth of useful content and then they either save it for later and leave which you know Google doesn't like if you leave immediately or they go back to the search results and they say okay let me look for something a little bit easier right because they they want like a quick and easy solution so in some ways you do kind of have to it's not a good way to say this but like cater to the lowest common denominator who's searching for the topic and try to write the content that will please them and that's how you stay Top of mind on Google. So you don't want to write bad content, but you also don't want to go like too crazy either. Uh, so, uh, I mean, to give you a good example, uh, we started, we have a project internally at Growth Machine called Cup and Leaf, which is a T blog. And the, there's cupandleaf.com, which is the T blog. And then there's the store, which is, you know, shop.cupandleaf. It's just a Shopify store, super simple. And this is kind of like what you and I were talking about before, just now with the building sites traffic first. So, the blog is very focused on ranking for everything related to tea. You know, how to brew oolong tea, uh, health benefits of pu'er tea, uh, you know, how to make barley tea, all of those topics, getting on the first page for them and then driving that traffic to selling actual tea. That doesn't really lead to creating the kind of interesting blog where somebody goes from one article to the next to the next, right? The goal is to rank for all these keywords, have people buy tea. And then keep buying tea until they die. It's not to like create a super interesting blog about tea. Like I, I'm fine with that because that's the point. And I don't think anybody is going to sit there and go, "Oh, let's read about health benefits of pu'er. Let's read about health right. benefits of oolong. Let's read about health benefits of green tea." Um, and those kinds of blogs are fine too, right? There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, I think where it gets bad is people who try to. I mean, okay. So the worst version of this is people who don't know anything about marketing who start a marketing blog and then write like. Crappy little five hundred word articles, and then get sad nobody reads them. Right, like don't be that person. Uh, but then the the second kind is people who are trying to rank for this SEO stuff, and they do the seven eight hundred word pretty short, you know, post. They probably paid somebody fifty dollars on Upwork to bang together, and that stuff's not going to rank either. And it basically just makes the internet worse. Like you can do like SEO focused content. Very well, where it's like very in depth and very useful. And I think if you read the cup and leaf content, it meets that bar. It's very, they're very good articles, but it's also not, you know, going to be a crazy interesting blog that somebody goes through and reads for an hour. Uh, and I think that's okay too. You just have to know which kind you want. And if you want to go the route of, I think, being interesting and being very in depth and kind of thought provoking, it's harder to make that an SEO focused blog, and you have to be okay with getting a bit less traffic. If anybody's read Slate Star Codex, right, like that's a super interesting blog. The Scott Alexander is obviously like a brilliant guy. He really does his research, but you know, I don't imagine that he ranks very highly on Google for that much, and there's probably not a ton of monetization from the blog. But I think that's fine, right? Because he's really interesting. He's done a great job of that, and I think that can be more important than just getting tons of raw traffic.
0: Let's talk about your current business, Growth Machine. Yeah. You are making $85,000 a month in revenue now, and you just started this what like last September, and so you've only been at it for 10 months. That's crazy. What motivated you to start this business? Why not go work for somebody else with your marketing abilities or why not start a more scalable product-based business rather than an agency?
1: Yeah, I, you know, first I knew I could never really go work for another company. I'd been Working for myself and traveling for a year and a half, there was no way I was going to be happy going and sitting in an office and like, you know, having to do what somebody else tells me to do. I I would have been good for three to six months and then I would have gotten bored and quit. That's just, I, I knew that would happen. So it was a question of okay, I want to start something, but I didn't really know what kind of product, business, or tool or whatever I wanted to build. And I didn't want to just pick something because I felt the need to pick something. So I said instead, well, why don't I just build a business that builds businesses? And then when I have an idea I want to pursue, I can just plug it into the existing structure that we've created. And I already had people asking for help with this SEO focused content marketing. And so it just seemed like by far the easiest place to start. And where we are now, you know, we've really gotten the process down and we can really, I think, apply it super well to a ton of different industries and we know the industries it works well in. And that's going to let us over time switch more to building our own properties instead of just having clients. Because like having an agency is fun and it's fine and you make good money and the, the lifestyle is pretty, you know, chill. Um, but you know, you're still dealing with clients and we're pretty good about firing annoying clients, but even, you know, any client is somebody that you're still kind of like taking orders from. And also as sort of a necessary function of the business, you must be making them more money than they are paying you, right? Or else they would fire you. So there's, you know, there's some projects where we see like, okay, we're obviously making tons of money for this person through our expertise. We should just be building our own projects. And that's where like cup and leaf comes in right where it's where we saw the tea niche as an area where we could actually do super well in content so we started you know creating that and eventually growing that e-commerce business we're working with another couple of people on a actually I don't know if I can talk about this publicly but another business where we saw uh, <laughs> SEO potential uh, uh, you know we're working actually with another really good marketing agency on yeah, again, I can't say what it is, but uh, like working with them too to get something started, and then you know I've also been looking at kind of like not necessarily affiliate sites, but sites that can talk about an area that has a lot of traffic that doesn't need an actual product, right? So uh, we work with one company, Rydester, that we've you know we've helped them rank number one or two for pretty much everything related to driving for Lyft and Uber, and then they're earning affiliate revenue for. People signing up to be drivers or riders on those services. And that's actually super uh, lucrative for him. And so my question is like, all right, what other areas can we just take our skill set and apply it to where eventually we have kind of a portfolio of companies that we are growing with our internal processes and don't need to take on clients quite as much anymore? Uh, So instead of having to pick that product business from the get go back in September, now I've kind Mm -hmm. of built the system that I can plug other ideas into and, you know, test them quickly and throw them out or, you know, keep growing them and turn them into their own successful businesses within the broader growth machine umbrella.
0: That's awesome. You know, the topic of ideas comes up pretty much every episode of this podcast because it's the phase that the most people are stuck in. They know they want to quit their job. They know they want to start a business. They just don't know what a good idea looks like or how to come up with one. And one of the things that I've been harping on a lot recently is that, in a somewhat weird twist, the best way to come up with an idea for a business is to just start a business, and then in the course of trying to run that business, overcoming various problems and challenges, and working with clients and customers, you'll come up with even better business ideas. You're sort of doing this on steroids. You've got a ton of clients that you work with on a regular basis— you're trying to help them grow their websites. You see what works and what doesn't. And you can take those like, winning models and apply them to other areas and other industries and add them to your list of promising ideas. But at the same time, even before you started Growth Machine, you had your blog. And a blog is the same principle. You're putting out tons of blog posts. You see what people react to, what they like, what they don't like. And that can give you a source of good ideas that are worth pursuing.
1: Yeah, the blog is awesome for that because I get a lot of random ideas from the blog by seeing you know, either what ranks or what resonates with people. And then also, I mean, learning, you know, for me too, the big metric is how good is the SEO kind of like landscape in an area, right? Part of why we decided to go after tea, which seems like it should be super competitive, uh, is that the content landscape for it is actually not very competitive. And so we figured out where we figured that we could start to rank for it pretty quickly, and then use that to drive sales. And so if you have something like SEO that you can use to Not just evaluate business ideas, but also generate them because I can kind of like take a random topic that I might see in my environment and plug it into a tool like AREFs and click around a bit and get a good idea of whether or not I could start a site in that area and grow it to a few hundred thousand visitors, right? And that's like a super easy way to generate and test business ideas. So if you can do something or if you can develop a skill like that, uh, and you can do that with ads too, you might be able to do that with. Uh, I mean, also like programming, right? So if you can get a really good sense of how easily you can build a tool, uh, I think Ryan Culp, who you had on before, is a great example of this. Like he's just really, really good at programming and building, you know, small teams to create stuff using like Ruby on Rails and a few other core languages. And so he can look at an idea and get a sense of how fast he could build it and launch something and test it. And you know, having one of those skill sets makes it pretty easy to iterate on business ideas. So. Because it's kind of like you said, you're probably not going to get the idea right the first time. So you want to be able to come up with more of them. And also, like I mean, like you mentioned, too, finding the problems you run into along the way is a great uh, way to come up with things that other people are probably needing help with as well.
0: Let's talk about the early days of Growth Machine after you first came up with the idea. How did you get this business up and running and get your first customers in the door?
1: It really just came from people who were already in my network and were asking about it because I had a couple of people who had reached out and said they wanted uh, me to kind of consult them on getting it started internally. And I just went back to them and I said, Hey, you know, I don't want to do the consulting because it doesn't go well, but what if you pay me the same amount you would pay me to be a consultant for you, but instead you get uh all of your articles created for you. You get them promoted, you get them SEO optimized, you get tracking and updating on how your plan is going each week. And you get, you know, weekly check-ins where we can talk about other marketing related stuff. And that was a pretty easy sell to both of them. And they, you know, we went from zero to, you know, one of them we were charging six K a month. The next one we were charging seven K a month. And so basically like the day we started we had thirteen K a month. In revenue. Um, cause that was th- them saying yes was what made me say, okay, I'm going to start the agency. Right. That seemed like pretty good validation. And as soon as they said, yes, I reached out to a few people who I had worked with before. And I said, Hey, you know, I need help creating content for these guys. Do you think you can you know, help with the management or help with the promotion or help with the article writing? And a lot of them were set up within the first two weeks. And, you know, by the week three, we were putting out content for these guys and uh, helping them start to rank. One of them went like super well, and we got them a lot. They, they had a pretty popular YouTube channel. And so we were literally just taking their popular YouTube videos and creating articles based off of them, and then getting them the number one and number two spot on Google whenever someone looked for something relative to their brand. And that was a great strategy. So that worked super well. And for the other one, it just didn't work very well at all. They ended up having a really a uh, competitive niche that we just didn't do a good job in but we ended you know pretty amicably and they still refer us to other clients so but as soon as those first two were in the door i just started reaching out to other people and trying to build more of those relationships and we had you know we we typically do 3 or 4 months initially so you know somebody once somebody's locked in it's like all right we're going to have that revenue for 3 months hopefully so we can keep kind of growing And so I think by December, we, I think in December, we did like 38K in revenue and it just kind of like kept growing.
0: And this is still just you by yourself working on the business full time and maybe a few contractors that you'd hired as well.
1: Yeah. Me, me plus a few of the contractors in December. Um, But that was when it was hitting the point where I was just like working pretty crazy hours and super stressed and things were starting to fall through the cracks. And I knew that I was going to run into, Issues if I didn't solve the problem before we brought on another client. And luckily, I mean, I had talked to uh, a friend, uh, Zach Obrant, the guy who runs, or he's one of the co founders of Book in a Box. And he told me to hire someone for kind of like general management and uh, like strategy and client relationship stuff before I thought I needed them. And so I started that process before we had the money to hire someone for it. And then ended up, you know, growing the revenue to a point where it made sense to hire them. And then worked out a good, like kind of salary structure where she could start semi part time, and then her salary would go up with each new client she managed. And then she was able to come out in on January, right when I was hitting my breaking point, and so it just timed itself out perfectly.
0: Right, and I want to talk about how you've been able to structure your business so that it could grow without you having to drive yourself into the ground. You mentioned earlier that you've hired three people to work with you full time. Who are these people, and what are their roles look like?
1: Yeah, so I. Uh, the well, so the way our business works with a client is that there's really three things we do. We design the SEO strategy that fits their business. We create all of the articles and publish them on their site, and then we promote all of the content that we're creating for them, help them get backlinks, help them improve uh, on-site conversion. So uh, we now have one full-time team member for each of those roles. So the first person that we hired, uh, Nora, she basically like leads all of the strategy and a lot of the client relationship side. So she's the one telling them like, hey, here's the keywords that we want to go after. Here's how we want to do it. Here are the writers you think would be a good fit. Here's like the whole content plan. And then you know checking in with them for tweaks to the plan as we're going and all of that. So she was the first person we hired. And then Brian handles all of the promotion kind of at the end of the process. So he he actually doesn't do as much of the promotion himself, but he works with a small army of freelancers, uh, each of whom is specialized in a certain area. So we've got a reddit guy, a Facebook guy, a Twitter person, a uh, Pinterest person, a what else do we have? I think we've got a LinkedIn person. We've got basically one person for each social network and then one person who can mine emails for publications for reaching out for backlinks. And so, as articles go up on client sites, Brian is taking those articles and feeding them to the freelancers best suited for that article. Because not all articles will do well on Reddit or Facebook groups or Pinterest or uh, make sense to reach out to for backlinks. So, he's kind of determining the best mix of promotion channels per article and sending them into the funnel that way. And then, and he also does all of the like reporting. So, he handles, okay how did the traffic do this week compared to last week and the week before? How are all the keywords ranking? And puts together those reports that we send uh, to the clients every Monday. And then Heather is right in the middle of the process where she is actually the one interacting with the writers and giving them their deadlines, their article guidelines, editing their writing, and then publishing it on the client site. So she's kind of making sure that all the articles are amazing, that they're delivered on time, that they fit the client voice uh, and handles pretty much all of that Implementation. So, with each client, they're kind of getting a full time, or they're kind of getting a dedicated strategy person, editorial person, and promotion person, plus me kind of hovering around the proximity, helping in whatever other ways uh, are useful. And that's been a really good way to break it up, especially with how many freelancers and contractors we have for helping with the very specific parts of the process
0: how do you go about finding the right people to work with? Because I'm sure there's a ton of people online who have some experience with promoting and distributing content. There's a ton of people online who have experience with editing content. How do you make sure you hire the right people? And what are your tips for other people who might be listening and who need to hire for their small business?
1: We've used weworkremotely.com for all of it so far. And it's been awesome. Uh, They seem to have a really big newsletter and pretty much all of my job postings there get picked up by all of the other job sites for some reason. So it's kind of like getting to post on all the other sites for free. And they have very consistently driven like 200 plus candidates for each role. And not all of them are qualified obviously, but so we're, we're hiring for another editor right now. And we got like, I think we got something like 500 applicants and Seventy or so of them moved on to part two of the application, and I expect we'll interview maybe ten or twelve. Right, but uh, Nora I found through we work remotely, Heather through we work remotely, Brian I'd worked with before, so I knew him from that, and I reached out to see if he was interested. But I think you know that that platform has been great since we are an all remote team. We're not local, uh, and you know since we're bootstrapped, we don't want to have to pay a headhunter. 20K for an employee who may or may not work out, right? Right. Uh, And then in terms of assessing them, the biggest thing that we look for is how much of the thing they're going to do they have done before or how much they've done close to it. So, you know, with Nora, I was basically hiring her to be me, right? She needed to be able to grow these sites and know what she's doing with them. And I could teach her some process, but she needed to also have pretty... Good familiarity with the full stack of skills. And the thing that really stood out in her application was that she had grown her own like cooking blog and health food blog from zero to 150,000 visitors a month in about a year. I was like, oh, awesome. She's like already really good at this, right? That's a huge uh, green flag. And then with Heather, you know, she was going to be doing all the editing and publishing. And when you work with 10 clients and they're each doing about three articles a week, you have to be able to edit and publish 30 articles a week. It's a lot of work. So you gotta be pretty quick. And she had run editorial for a local newspaper where she was doing like 50 articles a week. So that was also just super like awesome. You can meet this expectation. So once we had that, that was a really those were, you know, really good signs for them. And then the other biggest thing was just like quality and clarity of communication in email and on the app because since we're a remote company you have to be really good at communicating over text right and you're not always going to be able to go tap someone on the shoulder you have to be good at explaining what you're thinking uh, through slack and email and so watching out for that was big too and then just you know how how fun they seemed if they were enjoyable to talk to because uh, we still have you know weekly meetings and everything we want to have fun and enjoy hanging out. And so just making sure they were good. And the culture fits as well was a pretty big part of it.
0: If we don't count that point in time where you started getting overworked and had to make your first hire, what would you say are some of the toughest challenges and hardest parts about running growth machines so far? I think the
1: hardest thing is, well, there, so I, I guess I'll give two answers. One, there's like a psychologically difficult aspect, which is that when you Work with very few clients with very high values individually. It's a little bit nerve wracking sometimes because, you know, if four people decided that they don't want to work with us anymore next month, like I'd be in a really stressful state, right? Because that could be a third of our revenue just like gone overnight, right? And that would be scary. Um, we have never had something like that happen. But that is one downside of this type of work, right? You have a bit more volatility in revenue. But I think the most difficult thing day to day is just like staying on top of different client expectations and relationships and finding really good writers who can produce on a consistent basis, content that meets their quality without being way out of budget. That's, I think, the hardest part of this, and that's where a lot of people struggle with their own content plans and with their own content marketing, is that you know it's it's hard to find good writers who can stick to a deadline, and we're lucky that we have built up a huge network of them. But you know, we occasionally have to fire writers who can't hit deadlines or who clients are unhappy with, and then we have to get somebody new in, and you know, we've got our deadlines with them because they're expecting a certain amount of content for what they're paying each month and that's where things can really start to go crazy. The the promotion and the planning side are fairly reliable because we have more control over that, but with, you know, 30 some writers in the system, you're going to have at least one or two kind of like little fires each week at this point. And so we're still figuring out the best way to manage that.
0: How do you find customers nowadays? Because in the early days it seemed like your first clients came from the audience that you'd built for yourself via your blog. Uh, but now that you've sort of matured as a business and things are a little bit further along, have your methods of finding customers changed? Or are you still relying on content marketing?
1: Mostly content marketing.
0: I mean, that
1: is what brought them in from my site. Uh, that's what we're selling. And so I think we have to do you know a really good job of it ourselves. I've tried doing direct outreach. It doesn't work uh, for us very well. Personal referrals are honestly tricky because you don't want to say no to your friend's friend and you but you also don't want to do a bad job for them and I think we've taken a few projects that we shouldn't have because they were personal referrals. And so now it's just really like people find our content uh, either from other people sharing it from our blog or from our guest posts. You know, we did a guest post on the Aref's blog last week or 2 weeks ago and that drove like 50 leads. So and a, a decent number of them were pretty qualified that we're talking to now and so that's like a really good indicator that if we can get on good blogs with this good in-depth content that I think I have some reputation for that helps show that you know we can drive a lot of value for these businesses and they people come in much more qualified having read an article where you talk about doing the thing they're looking for help on than if you email them asking them to hire you right because like we charge 8 to 10k a month it's a pretty hard thing to cold outreach someone on they they need to kind of already want to have that level of help so it's really just like keeping that content machine going we're trying to publish an article per week on our blog trying to do more of the guest posting and then obviously all the old stuff on my site helps drive it too so that's that's really been the main thing now. It's like we're just continuing to double down on content marketing. It's what's always worked for us, and it's what works for our clients.
0: Yeah, and that's super cool because the things that you learn from working with your clients, you can apply to your own blog and vice versa. Mm-hmm. One of the books that you've read and that you reviewed on your website is Peter Thiel's book Zero to One. And one of the big points that he makes in that book is that successful companies are almost always really monopolies. The competition is terrible because it drives down prices and it's hard for you to stand out. How do you think about your competition with Growth Machine? Are you guys a monopoly in some niche? Do you worry about the competition? And why do customers choose you and your company over some other company that can theoretically help them set up their content marketing and their SEO?
1: I, I mean, this sounds cocky, but I honestly don't think that there is another agency that can do quite as good of a job of creating content that makes product businesses more money. If there is one out there, I haven't come across them yet. Uh, and I've been looking for people who feel like direct competitors to us, and there just don't seem to be that many. There are a lot of SEOs who will do kind of like advice, and like, hey, you should do this thing, you should write this article. And there are content agent or there are content agencies who will you know just pump out articles for you. But in terms of agencies that can just kind of like come in, take over your blog or part of your blog, and then. You know, grow it to hundreds of thousands of visitors per month. I don't really know many others right now. And I'm not super worried about other competitors coming up. Uh, Because, like, naturally, there will be if it's a good market or if it's a good area, and there should be some more competitors. But, you know, we've got a really developed system at this point. And we've got pretty, I think, pretty decent name brand and we've gotten some great clients. And I just feel like by going for, the top of the market, charging a lot, um, but doing a really good job and just trying to have an amazing system in place. We've really priced ourselves out of a lot of competition. Most SEOs are charging, you know, maybe two to five k a month, right? Our minimum package is eight k, uh, and that weeds out a lot of companies that just, you know, don't have the money to invest in it or who aren't as serious. And I think that's part of why we get to have really great clients in a lot of cases because the clients are willing to pay more and who. Kind of know that they're paying for results, not just you know articles. They're just like more savvy. They're better to work with, and from the responses we get to our content, it feels like people are looking for this, and they haven't found many people who can do it well. And I just think that that expertise and branding is kind of how we build our moat and build our monopoly in that sense.
0: Yeah, it's really great that your customers are willing to pay you a premium for your services because it's actually worth it for them. And they can calculate that it's worth it for them because you're in an industry where the value you provide is really easy to measure. I mean, if I pay you $10,000 for your services and you generate $30,000 worth of traffic for me, then that's a no-brainer, I'm going to do that again. I talked to a lot of indie hackers who are kind of stuck because the value that their business provides to their customers is really fuzzy. It's really hard to explain, it's several steps removed from how their customers make or save money, and so the customers don't want to pay, or at least they don't want to pay a lot. And it makes things hard on the founders, I think. Yeah. Anyway, the last thing that I want to talk to you about today is about the fact that your business is an agency. The vast majority of the people that I have on the show, that I talk to on the website, are running scalable product businesses. They're running businesses where, theoretically, they can add more and more customers without doing any extra work. Whereas with an agency, you're sort of trading away your dollars for hours. Every new client means you have to hire more contractors or do more work yourself. How do you grow this business in a way that makes sense and what's your plan for taking growth machine to the next level?
1: It's kind of like what I alluded to before I mean my goal is not to build a huge agency uh, it's more for us to be a very interesting private equity company uh, because like trying to you know compete with Vaynermedia or someone isn't that attractive to me and I think the ceiling on the number of clients we can work with in the way that we like to work with them is fairly low. I think we could become a $10 million a year business doing the type of work we're doing. But if we want to grow to a hundred million a year, we would have to branch out into something else, right? It, we I just don't think the market is big enough for uh, this type of work to get to a hundred mil. But if we can you know, switch to owning significant shares of product companies And, you know, being kind of like in charge of their content and marketing and driving sales through SEO, the way that I mean, the way we already do with a lot of our clients, but you know, we're not getting equity from it. That to me is super interesting. Because if we can really be a business that grows businesses, then we've got a pretty cool model where we can, you know, find stuff on the Shopify exchange that we can buy for 20k, build out a huge blog behind it. Let somebody else manage the product side and then flip it for you know a lot more money down the line. Or we can just have our own internal things like Cup and Leaf that we grow and sell products um, through, and we you know hire a, a manager for the product side of the business, and the growth machine team runs the growth side of the business. And that's just like kind of a fun model to me because then I don't really have to pick just one business idea to focus on. I've got like that ADHD where I want to work on a lot of different things at once, and so if we can have a few of these that we're invested in, or participating in, or entirely owning, that can become a pretty big business that can be pretty fun to work on, and that's kind of what I'm excited about as the next possible stage is we grow the client side of this maybe to a few mil a year, uh, have it be super profitable, and then take most of the profits and funnel them into our own businesses and investing in others, and then. That eventually becomes more and more of our revenue, and I don't really know anybody else who does uh, kind of like a private equity mo- private equity model like that, focused on you know the content marketing side of things is like super uh, different. But I think we're in a cool position to to go after, it. and so I'm excited about uh, transitioning to that phase of the business eventually.
0: Yeah, it's something I don't think enough entrepreneurs think about: is how do I. How do I build a business that's actually going to be fun to run in the long term rather than building a business that's just going to be more and more work, more and more customer support, more and more of a headache? So that's kudos to you for going in the right direction. Let me end by asking, Nat, what is your advice for other people who might just be getting started or considering starting a business? Should they follow in your footsteps? Should they start an agency over a product business? And what other things do you think they should know?
1: Yeah, I've been thinking about this more recently because I think my advice now has changed a lot from what I would have said before. I wouldn't necessarily say start an agency, but I would say get really good at something useful and freelance with it for a while to you know make a bunch of money to invest in you know something in building a business that you either stumble upon from your freelancing work or that you're interested in uh, or that you know, you see as an opportunity. But don't fall into the trap of trying to not spend any money. Because that's where I think a lot of people get hung up for long periods of time. And it also makes them feel like it's more acceptable to not be making money. So I feel like where you end up seeing a lot of entrepreneurs waste time is they say like, Oh, I'm going to, you know, build this cool web app. And they spend six months working on it, not making any money from it, to building up a lot of kind of like opportunity costs because they could have been making money in that time. And then, you know, and they're not charging for this web app and no one's using it. But because they're not losing money, they're just losing time. They don't recognize that they're losing money on it anyway, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And I think it's like an easy trap to fall into. So, I mean, I would almost say, you know, either do like consulting or freelancing or you know work on somebody else's project for a while build up the money so that you can invest in getting other people to do the things that you aren't the absolute best at and then just keep focusing on that thing. And for me a lot of it is just like the content marketing like that is what I think I'm really good at. Um I'm I don't think that I'm an amazing like manager or salesperson or any of that I'm trying to learn <laughs> but uh, if you can you know, make good money doing the thing that you are good at and then use that money to get other people to help you with the parts you're not good at, that, in, to me, is a much more sustainable way to build a business without wasting a ton of money and time trying to do everything or trying to uh, uh, not spend anything. And, and the businesses that I've been seeing do the best in the shortest amount of time are the ones that make money from basically day one. right? They're, they're e-commerce products that start selling their product right away or... Agencies that start charging money right away. Uh, I think it's sexy to see a story like you know Facebook or Pinterest or whatever. It's like, oh, they didn't make any money for years, and then ah, oh, they're all billionaires. But it's probably not going to happen. Uh, it might, and like awesome for you if it does. But I don't think it's a good thing to uh, to bank on happening. Right? It's like try to make money as early as possible.
0: I think that's great advice. Not being willing to spend money on your business is. Uh, probably revealing of the fact that you're not focused enough on making money with your business, at least not as fast as you should be. And I think, Nat, you're the perfect person to give that advice considering how you got your start with Growth Machine, making five figures in your very first month. Nat, thanks so much for coming on the show. Can you tell listeners where they can go to learn more about Growth Machine and about what you're up to in your personal life?
1: Yes. So uh, if you want to get in touch with me, the best place is Twitter. I'm just at N-A-T-E-L-I-A-S-O-N. It's Nat Eliason, not Nate Eliason. I get that a lot. That's where I'll be most responsive. The Growth Machine site is yourgrowthmachine.com. And then you can find the blog and stuff there. Then my personal site is just nataliason.com as well. So those are probably the three best spots to go. And uh, I guess for like one article recommendation, if you were interested in everything we talked about, you can Google the Wiki strategy. And it's on my blog and the Growth Machine blog. And that's like a super in-depth guide to doing this kind of content marketing that we've talked about a lot today. So that might be an interesting reading place for people to start.
0: All right. Thanks so much, Nat. Cool. Thanks, Marlon. This was fun. If you enjoyed listening to this conversation and you want a really easy way to support the podcast, why don't you head over to iTunes and leave us a quick rating or even a review? If you're looking for an easy way to get there, just go to ndhackers.com slash review, and that should open up iTunes on your computer. I read pretty much all the reviews that you guys leave over there, and it really helps other people to discover the show, so your support is very much appreciated. In addition, if you are running your own internet business, or if that's something you hope to do someday, you should join me and a whole bunch of other founders on the ndhackers.com website. It's a great place to get feedback on pretty much any problem or question that you might have while running your business. If you listen to the show, you know that I am a huge proponent of getting help from other founders rather than trying to build your business all by yourself. So you'll see me on the forum for sure, as well as more than a handful of some of the guests that I've had on the podcast. If you're looking for inspiration, we've also got a huge directory full of hundreds of products built by other indie hackers, every one of which includes revenue numbers and some of the -the behind-the-scenes strategies for how they grew their products from nothing. As always, thanks so much for listening, and I'll see you next time.